This is the Roger Stone Show on 77 WABC. Welcome back. This is the Roger Stone Show here at 77 WABC Radio. We truly are the crown jewel of AM radio. Joining us now is one of the country's, uh, I think, most talented and brilliant lawyers. David Schoen is a criminal defense lawyer who has specialized in both rights and ballot access cases as well. Uh, he represented uh, President Donald Trump uh, in the second impeachment, I believe. Uh, and uh, we're very privileged to have him join us now to talk about the latest developments in the legal tsunami against President Donald Trump. David Schoen, welcome to The Roger Stone Show. Thank you. The privilege is mine for being here. Thank you. So uh, just to kind of review the bidding, uh, in the January 6th case, this has been brought uh, against uh, President Donald Trump. Uh, the Trump attorneys asserted at the trial court level uh, their contention that the president was immune from prosecution uh, based on the, the law and the Constitution. That was rejected by Judge Chupton. Uh, the Trump lawyers were in the process of preparing to appeal to the D.C. Court of Appeals. Special Counsel Jack Smith took the rather unprecedented, or I should say at least unusual step, of seeking to overstep the appeals court uh, and take that decision directly to the U.S. Supreme Court, making it very clear that the timing of this case, in my opinion, very clearly tied to the timing of our next presidential election, rather than uh, the purposes of serving justice. The Supreme Court declined to hear the case without it first going through the D.C. Appeals Court. The D.C. Appeals Court, a three-judge panel, nonetheless pretty much expedited uh, their hearing and decision and was not surprising, as expected. They ruled against President Trump, uh, and uh, that sets the stage now to go to the U.S. Supreme Court. Now, until last week, it was not certain that the U.S. Supreme Court would agree to hear this. They're not required to do so. Uh, but they announced that they would uh, accept cert and they would hear the case, which seems to have made the people at MSNBC and CNN go out of their ever-loving minds. Uh, what do you make of all this, David? It's very interesting. I also wasn't sure that the Supreme Court would take this case, but I think it was totally appropriate. But you're right, yeah, I've seen... Uh some of the so-called pundits on television, um, guests who uh, I'm not really sure should be on the shows, given their background and their bias, but um, say that uh, they thought it was arrogant for the court to take it because the D.C. Circuit opinion was so thorough and so on. It's absolutely appropriate for the United States Supreme Court to hear this case. It's a monumental case. They decided the case of Nixon versus Fitzgerald in 1982, which was the civil component of this in a sense. That is, they decided that a former president has absolute immunity from civil liability, being sued, that is, <clears throat> for official acts taken while in office. Um, and they said this extends to the outer perimeter, in quotes, of his duties of office. And the reasons for that are 
essentially that there's a concern about a separation of powers, about some other branch of government intruding on the authority and the functions of the executive branch. Um, for example, you know, certain decisions come up in wartime or otherwise, and the president can't be in a position of having to look over his or her shoulder to say, well, if I make this decision, it's best for the country, but I might face some civil liability. And so um, now this is the criminal side of that. And I would suggest that the framework in Nixon versus Fitzgerald provides a, a framework that would work in the criminal realm as well. If we basically there's a limited inquiry, was it an official act within the outer perimeters of official duties of the office? If so, then there's immunity from criminal liability. And I say in this case, given the subject matter of the uh, D.C. case, this was an official act. And certainly within the outer perimeters, President Trump had information from sources he trusted that there was a question about election integrity. He took steps that he believed were appropriate based on advice he's been given to address that election integrity question. What the vice president's duties are under the Electoral Count Act are up in the air, as even foremost experts on election law have said. And therefore, I don't think this criminal case ever should have been brought. But we'll see what the court says now. The court took it on a relatively narrow question. The question before the Supreme Court is whether and to what extent a former president is immune from criminal liability for acts taken uh, that are alleged to have been official acts while in office. So it seems on the face of it to potentially eliminate one of the questions uh, that the Trump team raised, that is whether there's double jeopardy if you bring criminal charges now after an acquittal in the impeachment trial, for after all, these were the kinds of charges brought in the impeachment case that he was acquitted on. Um, it may be included in this question, and they may well try to argue that it is. I think there's a reasonable argument that that uh, is included in here. That's an issue that the Department of Justice took up in, 2000, in the year 2000. The Office of Legal Counsel considered it and really agonized over whether there's a double jeopardy problem in such a circumstance. They concluded that there probably is not a double jeopardy bar, but it's, that's still an open question for a court. If they were to decide that Trump has no immunity for in his post-presidential period, would they not be opening other former presidents uh, up to uh, uh, litigation and maybe even prosecution for numerous controversial acts? Uh, for example, the, the killing of U.S. citizens with drones, uh, to take an extreme example, but... Uh, aren't they opening Pandora's box here? Oh, absolutely. I mean, look, it'd be subject to statute of limitations, but it's both prospective and uh, retrospective. I mean, former presidents within the statute of limitations, statute of limitations would have to be concerned because, you know, look, we see history being rewritten all the time on things that we believed at the time and probably correctly were necessary actions uh, to preserve the United States interests and the safety of our citizens. Um, in retrospect, someone says now, well, those really were in violation of international law. So we have to worry now about president being prosecuted for that. And in the future, any president would have to look over his shoulder and make a decision weighing the country's in best interests against his personal interests and in avoiding prosecution. We cannot have it's completely unworkable. If we're, by the way, if yeah, we're look, uh, referring to official acts, I, where I disagree is, and you'll remember this well, during the oral argument in the D.C. Circuit, 
President Trump's lawyer, Mr. Sauer, was given a hypothetical about whether if a president orders uh, hit team, SEAL Team 6 to kill a political opponent, that person would have immunity. And the answer the Trump lawyer gave was, well, that person would have, the president would have to be impeached first and convicted and can only then be uh, criminally prosecuted. I think that's just dead wrong. The simple answer to that question was, no, that's not in any realm within the outer perimeters of official duties, but could not be considered an official act. And therefore, you take it outside this uh, Nixon versus Fitzgerald framework. That's what part of what makes the framework workable. Yeah, presumably the president is going to argue that within his constitutional requirement that he see that the laws of the nation are faithfully executed, uh, that uh, an honest, uh, fair, legitimate election is uh, uh, among those responsibilities. Uh, I presume that that is what he's uh, going to argue. Uh, I'm surprised that the case is, uh, that the court has taken it, but this really is about timing, isn't it? In other words, uh, Mr. Smith has moved very, very aggressively uh, in the so-called documents case, which is a much more complicated case and harder for me as a layman to understand, maybe harder for everyone to understand. He actually wanted to go to trial this past January, which seems to me to be for a case that complicated that involves classified and top secret documents, which can't be presumably uh, fully used in court. Uh, isn't that kind of a, a breakneck speed for a, a litigation, or I should say for a prosecution of this magnitude? Oh, absolutely. It's a shorter time frame than the average garden variety uh, case before that court. And, and you're talking here about issues that impact an election that the entire country has an interest in, that at least half of the country uh, you know, supports the person under attack. Um, no, it's very, very troubling. But I, look, this Mr. Smith has shown poor judgment in just about every situation uh, he's ever been in that's gotten any sort of public attention. Uh, I think of the John Edwards case. I think of the McDonald case in Virginia. Um, it's shown terrible judgment, but it seems to be a matter of self-aggrandizement for him. I did see a filing in the documents case last week in which he actually argued that Trump's, who was president, retaining of top secret and classified documents was far more egregious and more serious uh, than those same actions by, at that point, uh, Vice President uh, and U.S. Senator Joe Biden. I almost don't know how they write this stuff with a straight face. Uh, I'm, by the way, just basing my opinion on the special counsel's report, the special counsel, Mr. Herr, having been appointed uh, by U.S. Attorney Merrick Garland, who could have chosen any sitting U.S. attorney to be the special counsel. I am merely reflecting his report, which he clearly says that uh, that uh, that President Biden willfully retained documents uh, in violation of the law. Uh, it, the two-term, the two-tiered justice system here sometimes uh, really does boggle my mind. But then, of course, uh, I have lived it. Uh, amazing news uh, this past week that, despite the fact that the Illinois State Board of Elections determined that it lacked the authority to remove Trump from the ballot 
based on the events of January 6, 2021, that a traffic court judge in Cook County, Judge Tracy Porter, who serves uh, as a, a judge in the traffic division of the Cook County, Illinois court system, uh, has ruled that President Trump cannot appear on the Illinois ballot. Now, David, you have vast experience on the issue of ballot access on behalf of uh, Democrats, socialists, uh, libertarians, minor party candidates, uh, major party candidates. This is a particular area of your expertise. Uh, Was the judge just looking for her 15 minutes here? Or, or, Or how do you think she justifies this unconstitutional ruling from someone who's clearly an activist Democrat judge. Yeah, I mean, I think she wants to get her name out there. I think she wants to be a person who can now try to impact a national election. This is exactly, by the way, in magnified form, uh, what the Supreme Court was concerned about when they wrote in Anderson versus Celebrezzi, that a state has a lesser interest in a national election because some kind of state action affecting the ballot could really have an impact nationwide, and it shouldn't beyond that state's borders, but it does in a presidential election. And so that's the you know potential effect she could have. Um, and she gave a very narrow window for this to be reviewed before the primary, um, all of which was knowing and intentional, of course. And as you say, the Illinois board had rejected this before and said it had to be decided by a judge. I think she's going to be slammed down immediately. I'm hopeful someone went into federal district court in Chicago in that northern district and got an injunction requiring the Illinois Election Board to put President Trump on the ballot. If they didn't, I actually think in this case they would have to redo the primary. That's happened before in Chicago in a special election um, when they played games with the ballot. Um, Mayor Washington, Harold Washington's former party, um, but anyway, look, there's a history of this kind of thing in Cook County. Obviously, that's uh, the kind of thing people joke about. But this is just outrageous. And she did it knowing, of course, that the Supreme Court has this 14th Amendment question under review right now. She knows, as well as everybody else does, knows that, that the Colorado case is going to be reversed. And what she did was essentially just copy the Colorado opinion and her opinion. Uh, it is. Uh, it, it's very, very interesting. Uh, this is. Uh, we see this in multiple states. Uh, the the Supreme Court. It is uh, believed will rule uh, on the Colorado case, as it's called, uh, that uh, Trump cannot be barred from the ballot because uh, he has not been convicted any place of the crime of insurrection uh, and uh, other arguments, including the fact that the. 14th Amendment, Article 3, specifically pertains to officers of the United States. There are other Supreme Court decisions that have ruled that the president and the vice president are not officers uh, of the United States. If the Colorado case uh, turns out, as most legal scholars and most attorneys I know think it will, uh, would that end this fight in the many states to bar Trump from the ballot. Yeah, that will end this initiative. It'll slam this uh, Illinois judge, and it'll send a message out to stop the nonsense with the 14th Amendment. The thing that is so uh, disingenuous and hypocritical to me is you see people out there who at one time had legitimate um, credentials, 
uh, guys like Neil Katyal and uh, who was on MSNBC regularly, was a solicitor general at some point. I don't put Andrew Weissman in the category of people who had legitimate credentials. He held an office that was legitimate, but in my view, he's the most ethically bankrupt lawyer I've ever dealt with. But um, but these people put out these opinions that, oh, the Colorado case is absolutely right, and there's no way that it's going to be reversed and so on. That's just disingenuous. That case was a non-starter um, all, at all times. It was just an effort by Norm Eisen and these other people obsessed with trying to find some way to keep the voters from voting for President Trump. Um, it, was a, it was a very misguided effort that really abuses our Constitution. There are so many reasons why it can't apply to keep them off the ballot and so on. Um, yeah, but th- so the a decision in the Colorado case will stop that. I don't know how the decision is going to come down. I personally think the best way to decide this case is on a matter of process. That is, there's nothing in Section 3 of the 14th Amendment that tells you what the burden of proof would be, who's to decide uh, whether the person is uh, barred from holding office under that thing, under the uh, section. There's no process as whether you get a jury trial, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and so I think that's a big part of it. If you consider the 1869 decision by Supreme Court Justice Simon Chase that it's not self-executing, meaning Congress has to act to give it teeth. And that's Section 5 of the 14th Amendment. It would also seem to indicate that. Well, either Congress has acted or they haven't. We have an insurrection statute, 18 U.S.C. 2383, and they knowingly, Jack Smith, did not charge President Trump with that. Um, it was suggested to him by Norm Eisen and his crowd, but they didn't do it because they couldn't do it because there's no evidence of any insurrection like that that you could present to a jury. Um, and so you can't circumvent all of the due process and right to fair trial, uh, rights to fair trial, rights the Constitution guarantees by now using this Section 14, uh, Amendment 14, Section 3 uh, gimmick to try to uh, bar him from being on the ballot. All right, folks, if you're just tuning in, we're talking uh, to criminal defense lawyer, civil rights lawyer, uh, David Schoen, who has represented President Donald Trump in the second impeachment. This is The Roger Stone Show, and we'll be right back with a little more of David Schoen. Stand by. UTIs are the worst. I've been there. One year, I had eight UTIs. If you get UTIs, then you understand how awful the cycle can be. I was taking all the precautions, and cranberry products, they just never worked for me. I was desperate for a way to be proactive. It was hard on me and on my husband. It was tough to see her in pain, and I wanted to help. I'm Jenna. And I'm Spencer. With Spencer's background in biochemistry. And our shared frustration when it came to UTIs, we were inspired to start Eucora. At Eucora, we make innovative urinary tract supplements and UTI relief products. Our effective urinary tract supplements finally give you a way to be proactive. Feel like you've tried everything? We get it. We have a money-back guarantee so you can try risk-free. If you're not happy, you'll get a full refund. We're on a mission to help women get their lives back. Ready to join them? Go to Eucora.com today. Eucora.com. This is The Roger Stone Show on 77 WABC. We're back on the Roger Stone Show here at 77 WABC, and we're talking to noted criminal defense attorney, uh, David Schoen. To my mind, 
perhaps uh, the single most brilliant attorney, certainly that I've ever met, and uh, a man who can be seen often on CNN and Fox, and uh, a man who's never fears to go into the lion's den and ask tough questions. Uh, David, I should point out, is not a Republican or a conservative. He's a fine attorney who's represented uh, parties and individuals of all political persuasions, but he is a civil libertarian who believes deeply in the U.S. Constitution and understands it perhaps uh, better than most Americans, to say the least. We are honored to have him with us. Uh, David, let's uh, switch to the New York cases uh, because so many people in our audience are interested in them, uh, that Judge Engeron decided against uh, President Donald Trump in the so-called valuations case. This is the case in which uh, President Trump and his real estate development country, company and members of his family uh, who are executives in that company and others uh, borrowed money from banks uh while they did submit their own appraisals and their own estimation of the value of the collateral in those loans, uh, the banks in question all conducted their own due diligence, sought their own appraisals, decided that these were uh, solid loans, that there was a high probability that they would not only be paid back, but to make money on their loan. Indeed, they collected some $40 million in interest. Everyone was paid back in full. In fact, in some cases, some of them were paid back uh, early. Every single bank from whom the Trump Organization borrowed money uh, testified for Trump in the trial. Uh, but to, to no one's surprise, Jen, Judge Engeron, uh, who is a an elected judge in a elected in a partisan manner he's a democrat uh not only ruled against him but the part i find more shocking has levied a fine that is uh, astronomical almost a half billion dollars seeks to enjoin president trump from running his own companies controlling his own assets uh, but then, uh, to me, this is the most shocking part, makes the appeal of that decision, which would you would think would be normal under our system of jurisprudence, uh, prohibitive based on his requirement for a, a, a bond of tens of millions, I guess it's actually hundreds of millions of dollars, which seems to me, at least, to be a violation of the Eighth Amendment of the U.S. Constitution. What's going on here? Well, first of all, this is a case that I have to believe, as a person who works in this system and believes in the system, that this case will be reversed in full. It may take going up to the United States Supreme Court, I'm afraid. Um, the law at issue here is a crazy law that New York imposed in about 1956. Um, it's an executive law. 6312, um, and it gives the judge really unfettered power. Um, if the attorney general determines that in their view there's something akin to fraud that occurred, they can bring such an action, and then it's for the judge to order the relief he or she deems proper. That's There's no standard to it. That's just it. So as you say, an elected judge, an elected prosecutor who ran on a platform of getting President Trump no matter what um, comes up with something like this, 
But I've misled you when I say if they found some kind of fraud, because it doesn't require that. As even Judge Aiden Garan acknowledged in his opinion, for fraud, we traditionally for centuries have required um, reliance on some fact to one's detriment, that the fact was a material fact, that there were losses involved, that there were victims involved and all of that. And as, as he acknowledges, none of that applies under this Executive Law 6312. You don't have to have a victim. You don't have to have a loss. You don't have to have reliance. You don't have to have materiality. You just have to find that you did something that they believe to be wrong or misleading in your, uh, in your filings, whether anybody relied on that to their detriment or not. And as you say, we know here that isn't the case. The banks testified. They love these loans. They love doing business with Trump. Um, it's, they're entitled to discount whatever they want to discount in order to get a volume of business, in order to deal with the brand. Um, they did all of those things. They would love to have more business from Trump. They did their own due diligence, as banks always do when they lend money, and as Trump's disclaimer in his filings uh, re- you know, required them to do. Um, so it's outrageous. But, you know, as you say, um, first of all, I think it's going to be reversed on constitutional grounds. It has to be. Um, the excessive fines, and for other reasons. I think the denial of a right to jury. There's a 2011 case from this same court, Justice Ramos in the trial court in New York, it's called the Supreme Court in New York, um, said that there's no right to a jury trial here, but that's because the relief is supposed to be equitable. It's not supposed to be primarily based on damages. Well, that's not this case. This judge ordered, as you say, almost a, a third of a billion, that's going to be half a billion dollars in damages. That's punitive, and that's not what the statute was intended to do. But you're right, the most immediate concern is this idea of having to put up uh, an appeal bond, either putting up the uh, full amount of the money or buying a bond from uh, someone else who's going to secure it and literally throwing tens of millions of dollars out the window. That can't be in anyone's interest, but that's exactly what's required here. Um, And so, and they didn't have to, it didn't have to be that way. The kinds of issues they raise should have permitted an appeal without any kind of bond. So far, that's been rejected by a single judge in the appellate division, the Intermediate Appellate Court in New York. It's going to go before the full court. Then it will go before the New York Court of Appeals if necessary. But it's just not fair to not allow a litigant to litigate these important issues of public interest. And no responsible business person has a half a billion dollars just lying around in cash not being put to use for stakeholders in that person's business. All right. Unfortunately, we are out of time. Let me thank our uh, august uh, guest, uh, David Schoen, criminal defense attorney. Uh, Again, in my opinion, without any question, one of the most brilliant legal strategic thinkers and analysts in the country. David, we are honored to have you here on The Roger Stone Show, and I thank you for giving up this time on your Sunday afternoon. Thank you so much for being here. Honored to be here. You're an icon. It's not what my wife says, but thank you. Uh, All right, folks, uh, this has been it for the Roger Stone Show today on WABC Radio. If you like what we're doing here, you can go to StoneZone.com. It's absolutely free. Uh, And to see uh, here are past shows. There's a portal to WABC Radio. Also, uh, our daily show at StoneZone.com. Uh, is available there. Uh, but in the meantime, be sure you hang on because my good friend Joe Piscopo will be right along with Sundays with Sinatra. And you definitely don't want to miss that. 
I'm Roger Stone. This has been The Roger Stone Show. Until next Sunday, God bless you and Godspeed. Hi, it's Lou Dobbs for Priority Gold, America's precious metals dealer. These are volatile times with high inflation, soaring debt, wars on multiple continents, and rising financial stress. Central banks are buying gold to diversify their reserves, so are many Americans. Call Priority Gold and find out how precious metals can help you diversify your portfolio. They're highly rated and happy to help. Call 1-866-303-6357 or get a free gold guide at PriorityGoldGuide.com. That's Priority. PriorityGoldGuide.com